I want you to take your Bibles tonight, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. Now, here's what's going on, okay? And I'm just going to be transparent. You know, I, I believe that every believer ought to stay in a place of teachability. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, I think we all have to have a teachable spirit. There was something came in my hands that caused me um, to read. And as I read, I realized that um, as much as I thought I understood the essence of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, I come to realize I didn't have a clue what it was saying. Man, I want to tell you, the Lord just opened my eyes to several things. And I I want you to see this. If you want to give a title to this little mini-series that I'm going to do with y'all between now and Christmas, it'd simply be this. The object of Christmas in the mind of God. The object of Christmas in the mind of God. Let's read our text and I'll explain what I mean by that. Well, let's look at first Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. So if you'd stand in reverence to the reading of God's word. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill ye my joy that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you'd speak to us through this passage for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. You say, what do you mean the purpose of Christmas in the mind of God? Well, Philippians chapter 2 deals with one subject and one subject only. And you say, well, what is that subject? Well, the subject is unity. The whole essence of Philippians chapter 2 is the basis of unity. Now you say, well, preacher, what in the world does that have to do with Christmas as God sees it. Well, because listen, what is what is Christmas? I mean, why do we celebrate Christmas? Well, we're celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus. But why would the Father send the Lord Jesus to take up the form of man? Well, you say, well, to die on a cross so we could have redemption. That's right. But why would He die on a cross so we could have redemption? So we could be made one with the Father. And being made one with the Father, we could be one with each other. And so Philippians chapter 2 begins with Paul giving an exhortation of this oneness of brother, sister, and believers alike. And then he gives four illustrations throughout Philippians chapter 2. Now, 
We're only going to take in this little mini-series, we're only going to look at one of those illustrations. But Paul actually gives four illustrations of what this unity looks like. The first illustration he gives begins in verse 5, and it's the illustration of Jesus Christ himself. Then in verse number 12, he begins by giving the illustration of himself. Then when you come to verse number 19, he gives the illustration of Timothy. And then when you come to verse 25, he gives the illustration of Ephroditus. And he gives these four illustrations of unity. So he gives the exhortation of unity in verse 1 through 4. And then he gives four illustrations that we can understand what the exhortation is saying in verse 1 through 4. In other words, he's saying, listen, here's what needs to take place. Here's what it looks like when it does take place. And that's the whole essence of Philippians chapter 2. And so to take any of these passages in Philippians 2 out of that context is missing what God intended for Philippians 2 to say. Now what I want to do tonight is just lay the context that when we get to Sunday morning and Sunday night and the next Sunday morning, and when we look at verses 5 through verses 11, we'll understand the example that we find in the Lord Jesus. And, and you say, well, preacher, you, you've, uh, you've uh, shared these passages as far as quoted these passages many times over. I have, but like I said, I found out this week I didn't have a clue what they were saying. I've not been this excited about something in a long, long time. And so I want you to be very, very attentive, okay? Now, this morning, the tonight, what we're going to look at is just the backdrop of the context. So look with me, if you will, at verse number 1. He begins and he says this, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill you my joy that you may be like-minded. All right, now here's that idea of unity. And he begins here with the motivation of unity. In other words, what motivation do we have to be one with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, in verse number 1, he gives four things that give us the basis through which you and I ought to seek, desire, and walk in unity one with another. And you say, what are these four things? Well, he gives four things that are consistently true about every born-again believer. In other words, things that are in common one with another. In other words, if you're saved and I'm saved, then you and I, all of us, have experienced these four things in our life. And these things make something in common. And listen, when you have something in common, you have something to be joined together with. And this is these four things. Look at them with me real quick. The exhortation of life. He says, any consolation in Christ. Now this word consolation has various meanings. But in this context, it means any exhortation in Christ. Now you say, what do you mean exhortation in Christ? He says, listen, if you're saved, if you have the saving work of grace, the Holy Spirit in you, he said, then here's something in common. That the Lord, through His Word, has given you light and given you light the person of the Lord Jesus, your oneness with Christ, Christ who is in you, who you are in Christ, He exhorts us moment by moment, day by day. In other words, we grow in Him. The word in there is that word again, to rest in Him. 
So in other words, as God gives us light about His Son and about the work of His Son in our lives, for us, through us, in us, then all of a sudden what happens? As God's doing that work in you, He's doing that work in me. As God's doing that work in your wife, He's doing it in your husband. And as God's doing that work in each other, you have something in common. You have something that is familiar with each of you. And now all of a sudden, unity begins to take place. Now I'm going to make this statement, and I'm going to make... Listen, this is a strong statement. I understand it's a strong statement, but but it's a biblical statement. Now, I want you to hear me. There is no unity where there is no truth. Truth is the basis of all unity spiritually. And there are some truths that are non-negotiable truths when it comes to unity with others. And, and the basis of all this is found in this exhortation, this consolation that's found in Christ Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 21. The Lord Jesus praying for the church before He went to the cross. He says that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in them, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. So he says, what is this unity? What is this oneness to be like? Listen, the oneness that you and I ought to have as children of God ought to be in the same light as the oneness the Lord had with the Father and the Father had with the Son. In other words, when the world sees us, they ought to be able to recognize this is the unity God the Father had with God the Son and God the Son had with God the Father. And they ought to see that kind of unity in us. So what was that unity based upon? Truth. How many of you agree the Son said, I do nothing but what the Father says? I say nothing but what the Father says. I can do nothing of myself. In other words, what, 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 what did the Lord say when Mary, when, when the Lord stayed behind in the temple and Mary came looking for Him? He, and she kindly wanted to clean His plow a little bit. What did the Lord say? Hey, wait a minute. He said, woman. He didn't call her mother. He said, woman, I must be about my father's what? In other words, my unity with my father supersedes my unity with anyone else. But at the same time, when you have vertical unity in the spiritual realm, guess what? It automatically produces horizontal unity one with another. Why? Because it's a common truth. You have common light, you have common truth. And this common light, common truth produces unity. You say, well, preacher, I don't like some people. Well, listen, if they're saved and you're saved, you don't have a choice. Uh, let's look secondly, not only the exhortation of light, but the expression of love. Notice what he says. If any comfort of love. In other words, if there's any love. How many agree today when God saved you, the Bible says he shed or brought in your heart the love of God through the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. So in other words, if God saved you, He placed His love in you, He placed His love in me. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of love did He place in us? Was it a love conditional or a love unconditional? It's God's love, unconditional. Aren't you glad today God didn't love you based upon what you were going to do or not do? So how in the world, if I have that love, you have that love, listen, and I'm just talking in generalities. 
All right, if, if, if all of us have that love, how in the world can someone decide, well, I'm not going to be friends with this person anymore because they did something I don't like? See, that's, that's natural love. I mean, that's humanistic love. That's love that's conditional upon my expectations being met or not met. I got news for you. The love that makes unity, unity, is it's a love that, listen, even if you make fun of my bald head, I'm going to love you anyway. You say, preacher, I don't have to love people like that. Well, do y'all believe the Bible say amen? The Bible says love your enemy. Now, you know, preacher, he didn't use agape, did he? He did. So how am I to love my enemy? Now this is this is going. Now listen, if you got a toupee, hang on, this is going to blow your hair off. Okay, y'all ready? I'm to love my enemies in the same way I love my wife. How do I love my wife? Agape. Do y'all agree you can't love love your spouse but through agape love? Isn't that the highest standard of love there is? Well, he says that God fed your enemy. By the way, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. You say, well, preacher, I can't do that. That's the reason he wrote it the way he did, because he knew you couldn't, so he was going to give you his love that you could. You see, there's something about this love, this comfort. You, you were comforted in his love, and you experienced his love, and as you experience his love, now you find something in common, because you find out every born-again child of God has that same love. Listen to the scripture, John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, the Lord speaking, that you love one another, agape. How? How am I to love one another? As I, as I what? Now wait a minute, preacher. <laughs> you done flipped the lid. Are you saying, the Lord's saying, I have to love others in the same way He loved me? No, I didn't say that. The Lord did. You say, well, I can't do that. You can't in and of yourself. But He places that love in you to do it. Now watch this. He says, that you love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. This statement leaves no room for qualification. Would you agree with that? In other words, there's no way to turn this into a gray statement. I mean, it says what it says. It means what it means. You can't twist it. You can't change it. It says what it is. And so here's the thing. He says, now listen, if you have any consolation in Christ, in other words, any exhortation concerning Christ, if you have any comfort of love, which is true of every believer, and then he says this, not only the exhortation of light and the expression of love, but the evidence of life. Notice what he says, if any fellowship of the Spirit. How many agree the Spirit of God gives us life? Now what is this word fellowship? What's the word koinonia? It means partnership with. So in other words, if you and I are now come to a place of being in partnership with the Holy Spirit in His working in our lives, then guess what? We have something in common. Let me ask you a question. Does the Spirit of God enter every child of God? Does every child of God get all of the Spirit of God? All right, does the Spirit of God act differently in one child than it does the other? 
So the Spirit of God acts the same in each child. Would you all agree with that? Say amen. So therefore, if the Spirit of God lives the same in each child of His, and He is working in us to bring us to truth, to help us understand truth, to help us to obey truth, to help us to be reminded of truth, to help us to walk in truth, and the Spirit of God's doing that in me, and the Spirit of God's doing that in you, then guess what? All of a sudden now, the Spirit of God enables me and you to walk in the same fellowship, in partnership one with another. Why? Because we're in partnership with Him. Isn't that glorious? Boy, don't that do something for clicks. Y'all say amen. I mean, listen, let's just be transparent tonight. How many agree there's certain people you'd rather be around than others? And you tend to gravitate towards those. Well, I got news for you. When you walk in this, God will break those barriers. Because what you find out is every true born-again child of God. The Spirit of God is enabling you to walk in oneness of fellowship with each child of His. Now, so here's what he's saying. He's just laying out the basis, the motivation, why it's possible to have this unity. Now, let me show you this in Scripture. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, being the Lord Jesus, we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in other words, here's here's what John's saying. We saw Him, we heard Him, we touched Him. We know He is who He says He is. And because we have fellowship with Him and we have fellowship with the Father, and you have fellowship with Him, and you have fellowship with the Father, then guess what? We're fellowshipping with the same one, therefore we can fellowship with one another. Does that make sense? Say amen. So what keeps people from walking in fellowship? Sin. Sin. Now, now let me show you that. In the same passage, 1 John chapter number 1, verse 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not what? Y'all see that? Say amen. So all these folks that say, well, I'm a Christian. But there's no continuous walk of fellowship with Him. I have people get mad at me all the time. Because people say, and I'm not saying in the church. This church don't. I'm just saying when I go to other churches. And people get mad at me all the time, preachers especially, because people get mad at me because I say, well, if you're not walking in fellowship with God and you haven't been walking in fellowship with God and you don't have a desire to walk in fellowship with God, then you don't know God. And people look at me and say, oh, you're all judgmental. I didn't make that judgment. God did. He's the one that said it. I didn't. You want to get mad, get mad at him. I'm just saying what he said. Now watch what it says here. I mean, it goes further. Go down to verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if, but if, notice the contrast. If we walk in light as he is in the light and we have fellowship one with another. What is the one with another? 
You and I as brethren. Why? Because I'm walking in light. You're walking in light. And we're walking in fellowship with Him. And if we're walking in fellowship with Him, then guess what? We walk in together in the same light. We're not walking in darkness. In other words, one of you not walking in darkness, one of you walking in light. Hey, we're walking in light together and we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that good to know? I mean, it's glorious. And, and this is what he's saying. I mean, listen, this is God. This is why God sent his son to die, to redeem, to save, that we could have unity with the Father and through the Son and having unity with him, we could have unity one with another. Let me show you one last thing, the experience of long suffering. He says, and if any bows in mercy. Now, preacher, what does that mean? Any compassion. Let me ask you a question. How many in here today would just like to raise your hand and say, praise the Lord, God showed me mercy. Let me say it again. How many of you would like to acknowledge through a testimony lifting your hand, Praise the Lord, God showed me mercy. All right, now let me ask you a question. So every one of us raised our hand. God showed me mercy too. Do we have anything coming? So somebody don't meet your expectations. Or somebody says something. It caused your redness of your neck to just go up to your head. And all of a sudden you say to them, we're not going to be friends anymore. Here's what we're saying when we do that. God showed me mercy. But I don't have to show you the same mercy. You see, this is the motivation of unity. Now remember, this Sunday morning, when we get into the, to the example of the Lord Jesus, you're going to see all this lived out in the Lord Jesus. You're going to see the Christmas story lived out in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Now, let, let's go to the second thing. Not only do you see here the motivation for unity, you see the manifestation of unity. What does this man unity look like? Well, notice what he said. See, the context here is there was individuals within the church of Philippi that were infighting. Matter of fact, chapter 4 deals with two specific individuals. Now, Paul doesn't tell us who, what they were doing, but he tells us who they were. You mean Paul named their names? He did. And he's trying to get them to understand Look what God did. Look what you experienced when God did what He did. Now watch what He says. You see here, Paul, He says, Fulfill ye my joy. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. Here's what would bring me the greatest joy. You have these four things in common. 
Now walk in unity. Because you have these things in common. And he said, this would bring me the greatest joy. Why would Paul say that? Because he understood this was the purpose of redemption was to bring us into oneness with Christ and in and so bringing us one with the Father, enemies against God to be reconciled to God. That's our salvation. And then he also understood that being a part of a body, being the church, that bringing that oneness with, with us in the, in the Father would also bring a oneness with each other. And he said, oh, this will bring joy. So then he unpacks what this unity looks like. All right, now watch. All right, look at it. Number one, you see a life of harmony. Now look at verse two. He says that you be like-minded. Now, you, you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, it first deals with our aim. A one aim. In other words, to be like-minded is have the same aim, the same goal. To be like-minded is have the same mindset of accomplishing the same purpose. Now, let me, you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, all things, everything you do, whether you eat and drink, you to do all for what? All right, now let me ask you a question. If all I do, if my mindset is simply that whatever I do is going to bring glory and honor to Him, and all that you do is going to bring glory and honor to Him, then guess what? Are we going to walk in with the same goal? Then what's going to happen? Well, we have something in common. Now, all of a sudden, this love and this and this exhortation and this and this this compassion that we've all experienced of Christ now begins to manifest itself in our life. And now all of a sudden we have a same mindset. And that mindset is we have a one goal. And that is that God would be glorified above everything else in our life. I was pastoring a church one time. And we had, a, we started getting a lot of children into the church. And so we started having a meeting with the leadership about get, you know building this this huge playground out into the, out in the, the lot of the church. And I'll never forget, the Lord just gloriously provided. We built the playground, built the fence, did everything that we were supposed to do. It looked awesome. And I remember not too many weeks after that, we were having a fellowship meal, and I heard one of my deacons walk up to one of the mothers, and here's what he said. He said, I told you I'd get that through. Now let me ask you a question. Did he have the same goal? See, he wanted recognition. It wasn't for God's glory. Is that man could... Are y'all with me? Say amen. But if we do everything for the glory of God, then guess what? Now listen, this is going to help you. If your heart is to just glorify God, nothing else, and my heart's to just glorify God, nothing else, I've got, I got some great news for you. You'll have a hard time getting your feelings hurt. And by the way, I praise God every day for the unity we have at Liberty. Y'all say amen. But does that mean we're perfect? No. But I do praise God for it. All right, look, not only one aim, but one affection. Notice what he says in verse number two. Having the same love. Now, what does that mean? In other words... Your affection and what you love and my affection and what I love is the same. You say, well, wait a minute. I have different, uh, different uh, 
I have a different love for different things than you do. You may have from a physical standpoint, but let me ask you a question from a spiritual standpoint. Do you love the Word? Do you love the Lord? Do you love fellowshipping with God? Do you love praying? Do you love hearing from God? Do you love worshiping God? Do you love praising God? And listen, if we have the same affection, the same love, and our love is singly focused on Him, then what in the world could divide two people that have the same affection? I remember an evangelist friend of mine was pastoring a church before he was in evangelism. And boy, I tell you, he, he was in one of those churches that every time he turned around, it was like a burr in a saddle. I mean, somebody was in his grill about something every time he turned around. And, and he went to this Bible conference just trying to get a respite, just trying to get a little relief because he was getting attacked every time he turned around. And he went down and he couldn't wait. There was a preacher going to preach named Junior Hill. And he couldn't wait to hear Junior Hill. And Junior Hill stood up. And this is what Junior Hill said. He said, preachers, he said, here's the one thing I'm going to teach you. There's nothing else I'm going to teach you but this. But teach your people to love God. And I'll never forget, Charles walked away from that conference. Are you serious? I'm going through all this. And all he's got to say to me is teach my people to love God. I'm telling you right now, this is a waste of time. Then he realized that when you love God, and I love God, then we have the same affection. People wonder why I'm so emphatic about being under the Word because when people have a desire for the Word, listen, they stay in oneness. One aim, one affection, one accord. Notice what it says, being of one cord of one mind. What does this word accord mean? Here's what it means. It means to harness the energies where there's no waste. In other words, it means coming together as one, accomplishing the same goal with the same affection and doing it together as one body. You ever heard the term, there's strength in numbers? So if my aim is to glorify God and your aim is to glorify God and my affection is for Him supremely over anything else in my life and your affection is for Him supremely over anything else in your life. One of the things I love about our staff is we're like-minded when it comes to truth. And so... I think all of us will agree in here, God, Donald desires to glorify God. Everybody agree with that? Say amen. I believe all of us would agree in here that Donald has a love for God. Amen? Well, I hope and pray I do too. So here's the picture. What does one accord mean? It means we have one goal, we have one aim, and we lock on and walk towards that together. And obedient to God. Amen. Y'all see what I'm saying? That's what this means. It means a one-mindedness together. Alright, let's go on. I want you to see this. Not only do you see a life of harmony, but a life of humility. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife. What does this mean? This word strife. He's going to deal with the humility. I mean, great. There has to be a humility to walk in oneness. Now, there, there's, there's a lot of warped way of thinking about humility. 
Let me tell you what humility is not. Humility is not uh, talking down about yourself. That's not humility. Humility is not being mean to your own self. Humility is not thinking about yourself at all. That's humility. In other words, let me put it to you another way. If you think you're humble, you're not. Because, see, you is not the focus. So what does this humility look like lived out? Well, look at it with me. The first thing is, to walk in humility, you've got to die to your rights. This word strife, here's what it means. It has the idea of being a rival. Or if you will, a person who practices things for the purpose of their own gain at the cost of anybody else. That's strife. So in other words, if my focus is on me and what I want, and that's really my focus, now, I may say, well, listen, I'm going to do what I want to do and what anybody else thinks about it, tough cookie. That's strife. Humility doesn't focus on self. Humility focuses on him first, other second. And so the picture here is that to truly walk in humility, we have to die to our rights. Our right to choose what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. We have to die to that right. And when we die to that right, we're dying to self. And when we do that, here's what happens. Others are always placed above ourselves. Let me show you the second thing. We have to die to our reputation. Notice what it says here in verse 2. Or vainglory. Now, he uses the word glory. Oh, but then he attacked a prefix, vain. So what does it mean? It means something that is intended to bring glory, but in reality is an empty glory. It's not glory at all. In other words, This would be someone that's more worried about what other people think of them than what the Lord thinks of them. You know why a lot of people don't praise in church? If I lift my hands, I'm afraid somebody will think I'm just trying to show off. Oh, well, here, here's, here's a gem of an argument. That's just not my personality. Well, God commanded, lift your holy hands to the Lord. He didn't say lift your holy hands to the Lord unless you have a reserved personality. Y'all say amen. Now, that's just not my personality. Listen. 
You see, vainglory is too concerned about what others think. So if I'm concerned of what you think of me, then I promise you I'm not going to preach a lot of stuff I preach. Y'all say amen. And I'm sure not going to preach a lot of stuff I preach at the pastor's conferences. I promise you that. I mean, because listen, all that matters is what God thinks. And here's what I think. If you obey God, you may ruffle somebody's feathers. But you're going to reach far more people than you're going to ruffle feathers. So in other words, you've got to die to your reputation. You've got to die to your rights. And you've got to die to your own reason. Watch what it says. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. What do you mean by reason? Here's what I mean. In our humanity and in our flesh, our flesh will convince us that I have the right to choose to do with my time what I want to do with it. How many times have we disobeyed God in a, in a God trying to prompt us into an area of ministry because we reasoned within ourselves. I just don't have time for it. You see, one of the things that happens is this. When we're walking in humility. It's like an antenna. Goes up in our spiritual realm. And we become more sensitive. To how God wants to use us in other people's lives. Versus. What we want to do. For our own life. That don't mean that we don't take care of ourselves. It don't mean that we don't take care of our families. It don't mean that at all. But I promise you, God knows the balance in all that. In other words, here's what it means. We allow God to take the blinders off. It's me and my family. No. It's you and the Lord. And he saved you that he can work through you. Not only with your family, but with anybody God puts in your path. So now, let, let, let's do this and I'm going to close. All right, listen. So if your mindset is I'm going to put others before myself, my mindset, I'm going to put others before myself. Let me tell you what a miracle is going to happen. Y'all ready to hear about a miracle? You won't need a nominating committee. Because people will be beating down the door wanting to volunteer. 
Would you please, 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 please pray about doing this? Wouldn't it be great if we just got such fellowship with God that we didn't have to have anybody ask us? We would go to them and say, hey, God put on my heart, I'm to do this. Lisa, amen. Lisa's over our nominate committee, amen. I mean, it's it's that's that's what it means. This is what unity is, as God sees it. And God, I tell you something, this wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for Christians. If God wouldn't have redeemed us by sending His Son, born of a virgin, walking 33 and a half years, showing us what unity looks like between Him and the Father, dying on a cross, because why? His fellowship with the Father was greater than anything he would have to suffer and knowing that he would die, bury, and resurrect on the third day, come and live inside of us, that he could give us the same relationship with the Father that he had with the Father and having that same relationship with the Father that he had with the Father then he would place the same spirit in you and in me and then he would give us a relationship that absolutely overlaid and exemplified the relationship he had with the Father boy isn't that a glorious truth you want to know what God's heart towards Christmas was? There it is. In a nutshell. Now, let me close. Last thing. Y'all loving me? Say amen. A life of helpfulness. Notice what it says. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, Here's the word I want you to underline. You see that word also? Okay? That's the key word to this verse. Now you say, why is that? It's not that you're to absolutely forget about taking care of yourself and your family. But at the same time, also, look to the needs of what? Of others. In other words, be a vessel that's available to be helpful. That's all it's saying. Y'all ever heard of the Salvation Army? Years ago, the Salvation Army used to be a very conservative Christian group. There was a guy that was over it years ago named General Booth. General Booth, they were having a Salvation Army conference, and General Booth would always go and, and give a word of truth at the conference. And at this conference, he couldn't make it. And so they contacted him and they said, would you send in writing what you want to say to the people at this conference? And so they were expecting this long manuscript of these articulate thoughts and truths of the Word and, and just encouraging through the Word and exhorting through the Word and they expected this long dissertation of glorious truth. And General Booth sent a letter back. He said, here's what I want you to tell the people at the conference. And it was one word. One word. One word. You say, what was the word? Others. He said, just tell them others. You don't have to say anything else. Just others. 
Why did God send His Son to die on a rugged cross? Was it for God? No. How many agree God didn't need us? Do y'all agree with that? Say, how many agree God was self-sufficient in and of Himself? So why did He send us? Others. That God could bring you and I into oneness with Him. That He could place us in oneness with each other. That together, for the glory and out of the motivation of the love of the Lord, we could join arms and walk in obedience with one mind, one heart, one love, putting others above ourselves for the glory of God. Now what would happen in the church in America if that took place? Now, all that's the introduction for Sunday morning. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Because now what we're going to see Sunday morning is you're going to see the example of everything I just said lived out through the Son that God the Father sent to the sin-stained earth on Christmas Day. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. And I thank you for, Lord, this oneness that we have with you and this oneness we can have one with another. And Father, you know that we all still deal with our flesh and you know that we all still deal with pride and you know we all still deal with those things in our life. But Father, let us see. If nothing else, let us see what You're trying to do in us. How You're trying to conform us, mold us, shape us. More into the image of Your Son. That we could walk in a unity with you and a unity with others that becomes a mirror to the world of what the unity you had with your son looked like when he walked upon this earth. Work that in me. Work that in us. For your honor, for your glory, and for your namesake. In Jesus' holy, precious name. And all God's children said...